0: On the clinical consult today, we'll discuss Engaging Men in Therapy with Dr. Frederick Rabinowitz, professor of psychology at the University of Redlands, fellow of the American Psychological Association, and author of numerous publications, including the seminal book in this area, Deepening Psychotherapy with Men, and the American Psychological Association's Guidelines for Psychological Practice for Boys and Men. Fred, I'm just pleased you can join me today. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I look forward to our conversation, Daniel. It's good to be here. To get us going let, let's briefly touch on some of the biggest men's issues out there from from your experience and your, your, your knowledge of the literature here so, so what are presenting concerns that are most common for men well i think
1: I think we you know have to differentiate a little bit about sort of the overall view of what is beneath the reasons that men come to therapy the The overt reasons oftentimes have to do with like a relationship crisis, um, maybe some family tension, perhaps something around a loss or a job switch or life transitioning, you know, from being, you know, having maybe being employed to being unemployed. So I think the external oftentimes drives men into therapy and also times it's, it's someone in their environment who may be encouraging them. And I, and we we can talk about that a little bit because it makes a difference to me whether a man comes in on his own or whether he's been encouraged by his partner or by the courts or by his work, you know, because those are, that'll bring up different kinds of issues, but to, to sort of address what I think are the core concerns, For men, I think oftentimes the relationship issue, um, when there is a threat in a relationship, either going through a divorce or a separation, it raises a lot of the kind of core conflict around dependency in relationships. You know, most men try try to be independent and autonomous. And so losing a relationship really breaks through to that deeper level of like, what if i don't have anybody to talk to what if i can't connect with anyone and oftentimes you'll see you know there's a lot more you know unfortunately not all men do this but there is more violence and more just really acting out of distress when there's a when there's breakups in relationships the other the other issues i think also have to do with loss which is connected to this that oftentimes men have been able to handle losses in their lives by just sort of glossing over them and just you know either rationalizing them, moving on. And oftentimes there might be a loss that sort of just breaks through their defense system and makes them feel really sad and, and lonely. And it's overwhelming because they haven't really felt that before. It's almost like an accumulation of loss. The other thing that I think comes in is the conflict between the role demands that men have, you know, to be a man, which is to be strong, autonomous, not vulnerable, and then perhaps issues that are going on in their lives that are really stirring them up emotionally. And so they they feel anxiety and sometimes like a, a, a deep sort of remorse about who they are and what they've done um, that comes from that just. Dist- like discrepancy between how they're supposed to be and how they're feeling. And then I think the fourth thing really has to do with um, men who are used to taking care of problems by doing something. And there are certain kinds of issues in life that you just have to experience and feel and get through um, that don't always have an active um, problem solving approach to. And I think sometimes men, you know especially like maybe a, a parent who has Alzheimer's or um, a situation with a with a child like losing a child or something where there's nothing to do um, a lot of men have trouble with just being with, with with the emotional
0: part of that that point you just made about doing versus being that mm-hmm. strikes me as a really relevant presenting concern that you know there are a number that you, that you've really touched on. Nicely here, but I want to focus on that contrast just for a moment about being As Mm -hmm. to doing that one just really that one hit me hard and someone can you say a little bit more about that one and, and Yeah, I I think that I you know, and uh It's
1: it's something that like in psychoanalytic literature Winnicott talked about this idea You know that somehow being able to be with how you are with your emotions and I think I think sometimes men, and, and again, this isn't sometimes, I think many men have been socialized not to be, to be a slave to their emotions. They've, they've learned to overcome their emotions. They've learned to tough it out. And in certain situations, that's totally appropriate. You know, in fact, it's a, it's a really good coping mechanism. But I think in, in terms of the idea that, you know, especially in big life issues, oftentimes that leaves a man without, without sort of the skill to just sit with something and, and let it, let it exist as it is, you know, that's something happened. It's really sad. It's just really sad versus I need to do something. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and try to fix something or I'm going to try to do something. So I think the way it plays out in therapy is that oftentimes men will come in with a specific problem they want to work on. They're not going to talk about an existential life crisis in this way, what they're going to say is, I'm having trouble sleeping, or I eat too much, or um, "You know, I want a different job. And so those are all kind of doing things. And so I, oftentimes, I think therapists can first engage a man by helping them with that doing. And then once that happens, it builds a kind of trust that they can talk more about what's really going on and then over time the therapist can move from being just like okay we gave you a cognitive plan on how to sleep better and be more like well talk to me about the kinds of thoughts you have before you go to sleep or you know what kinds of things have been bothering you and all of a sudden those those deeper emotional issues may start to come out so i think because men have been culturally conditioned to be doers you start with doing and then as that doing happens, it leaves the door open for possibly processing some of that, those being
0: issues. Your language there about, about meeting this client or this patient where they're at, mm-hmm. if they're at a place where they're, they wanna do, they're, they're in that doing world as you describe it, that's mm-hmm. a, a good first step. But then there's a certain point, there's a change to where you're doing more of the, let's talk about being. Can yes. You go a little deeper on how do we, wh- what are the words that are used or what are the interventions that are used to get at that being?
1: Well, it, it would be something that would be a little bit more like, you know, I'm like, maybe you've helped with, you know, some sort of behavioral plan for them to be, you know, less stressed out, or maybe you've done some mindfulness work and, you know, you've taught them how to like, you know, meditate or something like that, that, that then there is this, this, connection, it's almost as if the, I think these initial doing exercises in some ways are ways that men have learned how to trust. And so I think it's, it's partly building trust in the therapeutic relationship and feeling like you're on their team and that, you know, you're a helpful person. But I think that then it's, it's like, you know, like a, like an example might be Hey, hey, uh, Jim, is there is there anything you haven't been telling me? You know, we've really worked on you, your stress. Are there other aspects of your life that maybe, you know, you want to process or make sense of? And so, so in a way, you've established your credibility by helping them. And now you're asking them to sort of go a little bit further. And oftentimes men will start talking about it. Yeah, I, I kind of want to talk about my relationship or I, I kind of want to talk about my like what I'm going to do
0: for the next 10 years.
1: Um, those kinds of issues will start to emerge. And I think it comes because of the trust.
0: I want to build on your answer here and, and go a little bit deeper. Okay. Because we're talking about these interventions with being. And I, in my mind, I'm just, you know, I'm wondering, there's so many different types of men, of course, so many different masculinities, as you've described in your writing, and key, I think, cultural considerations that, you know, health service psychologists really need to be thoughtful about in their treatment with with boys and men, especially perhaps in the, in this being portion of the process you described. And I know you've you've discussed this in your guidelines for psychological practice for for boys and men. Could you expand on some really important sort of cultural considerations here and? with With the appreciation that I've just asked you a really big question, but yeah. I, I'm just wondering yeah. if you could speak to it in, in a few in a few words
1: yeah i I think the guidelines i think part of what what the guidelines did for us, and again, we worked on them for over thirteen years, so there's a lot of meat in there and there's a lot of um you know looking at at masculinity from a lot of different perspectives. But I, I think the idea of those was to not stereotype and to not generalize men and just be like, this is the way men are. And for clinicians to kind of look at their own biases around, you know, what what how are they perceiving their own, either if they're a man, what their masculinity is about, or if they're if they're a woman, like how do they perceive like what the ideal man is supposed to be? And I think sometimes and I just read an article um, today, actually, in the, the journal *Psychology of Men and Masculinities*, about um, how much trauma men experience that they don't talk about, and that oftentimes the cultural norms of of being autonomous, not sharing, not not sort of revealing some of the deeper, um, maybe painful experiences of one's life, actually leave men kind of. You know, rigid in how they respond, um, and and the doing process oftentimes is a way to kind of like, okay, at least I'm doing something but if if you really look at it as you know men have experienced probably as much as, as most women some sorts of, of violence or sexual trauma or things like that 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 just isn't acceptable to talk about that we as clinicians should not assume that because a man says, I'm fine, or because a man doesn't show a lot of emotion, or because a man um, seems to be very practical or doesn't have the vocabulary, doesn't mean that at a deeper level, they haven't had very powerful experiences. And so, I think the guidelines try to say be sensitive to the fact that there are this layer, this cultural layer that says don't talk about the things that have happened to you. But the reality is that lots of things have happened to all of us. And you know, if you're if you're an ethnic minority or you have some kind of disability, your life is very different in terms of what you know might be stereotyped. Um, the fact is that you know ninety percent of prisons are filled with men, with men, you know, and which means that that a lot of violence and antisocial behavior gets acted out, um, and what's beneath that may actually be reactions to trauma or or um, reactions to feelings that they don't know what to do with, and therefore they do something, which is which is to pick on somebody else or to. Um, engage in antisocial behavior.
0: Let's pull it back just just for a second here. As you were talking, I, I had a pretty blunt question come to my mind. Okay. I'll, I'll sure. just put it out there. I, I think there there is this feeling amongst some men, and it's like, I'm, okay, they go to the health service psychologist, and it, the attitude can kind of be like, you know, sit down and let's have a long discussion about feelings that. Kind of, you know, make you feel uncomfortable or make you feel weak or make you feel lesser than. So I think quite honestly, I, I mean, when I think about it from, from that perspective, I have empathy for if that was your experience of what it would be like to sit with a psychologist. I mean, that, that would make it really challenging. Like, so what, 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 do, what do health service psychologists do with that? Well, I, that's
1: a really good question because I do think that that's what men, a lot of men are fearing is going to happen when they go and that they're going to sort of be almost shamed into, into talking about things they don't want to talk about. I think it's really important for psychologists to really listen to the vocabulary, to the words of, of, of the man that's sitting in front of them and to really adjust their language, the, the therapist's language, to that of the man. Um, you know, for instance, if you're working with a, somebody from a blue collar background who works with, let's say cars or something, then, then using analogies or metaphors related to cars is going to be much more powerful than talking about, well, how did that make you feel? Um, you know, to say like, well, what's it like to look under your hood? You know, is a very different way to talk about it, but that much more relates to the way they see the world. So I think that's that's one level is is to do it that way. The other is to not go too fast into emotions. Um, I've had a couple bad experiences, not bad in, in the sense that they were they were horrible, but just the idea that where a man started to um, share too much emotion too fast and didn't have a way to contain it. And so, me as a psychologist, you know, who's who's comfortable with emotion, might be like, "Yeah, tell me more about that." And then I saw them, you know, they didn't come back for a second session. And had I been able to go, wait a second, this guy needs to walk out of this room. This guy needs to be able to to share this and then be able to kind of put the the cover back on before he walks out into the world where maybe he can't be that vulnerable or he can't be that open. So I think being really sensitive to the idea that, you know, it may be important at some point to be very emotion focused in therapy. I think initially, especially with, with most guys who are traditionally um, culturally, you know, uh, uh, indoctrinated that talking about it intellectually, having some framework, talking their language, um, making it normal to talk. That approach,
0: me- is, that approach is intentional in some ways. Yes. I mean, that's, when you said trust building earlier, I just, mm-hmm. I just sort of really almost like felt my, my body react when you said that. Like, that is vital. You yes. Need you need to meet them where they're at. Yes, you need to
1: meet them where they're at and to also make them feel it's going to be okay. So even if they are, you know, like I said, even in the long run, maybe you want them to express a lot of the emotions that they're feeling, but you also need to help them with their coping and being in this situation, not knowing where it's going, helping them to see the framework for where, you know, what therapy might be for them. It might be a way to just come in here and talk about things that are hard to talk about. Um, It might be a way to kind of see, make decisions based on, you know, your life journey, where you've been, where you're going, the kinds of things that have happened to you. You know, I've had guys, you know, who, who came in with what probably all of us would say, well, that was kind of superficial. They just want stress management or something. Um, who two years down the road say, can I talk to you about something I've never talked to you about? So they held on for two years withholding somewhat, some of their deeper pain. And oftentimes it, it's related to a trauma or an abuse situation.
0: And, the, and that return behavior then is, and that, that's predicated on trust. That's, that's predicated
1: totally on trust. You're a
0: person that, that can hold that. that, yes. that sensitive yes. information about that yes. in a way that is contained. Exactly. You, you said something that really jumped out at me, and that was about 90%. I think you said 90% mm-hmm. of violent crimes in this country. You, you put out a statistic, which I, I believe is from the National Center for, mm-hmm. for Health Statistics, that completed suicides are are four times more common in in men than in in women. And it's hard not to just, you know, to really react to that. And those are, of course, really troubling statistics. And I I wanna hear a little bit more from you about that. I know, I think this is guideline seven from Uh your your guidelines Mm -hmm. for psychological practice and talks a lot about some of these tendencies and and what leads to that. And I'm just, could. Could you say a little more about that area?
1: Yeah, it's, it's again, I think it's one of those hidden, hidden um, male vulnerabilities that, you know, because we, we generally act in ways that kind of look as if everything's okay, um, it it's sort of blows, blows my mind every time I think about it that, you know, the suicide rate is that high among men because they don't talk that much about their depression or they don't talk about feeling sad. They don't talk about feeling lonely. So it's, it's almost as if by not talking, it increases the probability of, you know, acting out on some of this, you know, what I would call externalizing behavior like anger or violence or um, in some cases violence against the self. Um, and so there's, there's this, you know, we don't, we don't discuss it because women talk about their feelings. Women are depressed. Women are anxious. Men don't have that, are, are not given permission culturally to have places to talk about those kinds of feelings themselves. And yet I'll say this as, as part of my you know, the, the, last, the last book I wrote um, that just came out in March is called Deepening Group Psychotherapy with Men. And what it does is follows 10 men individually who then go to a men's group. And one of the things that, that comes across, and I've been doing the group for over 30 years, is that that universality, that talking about something that's going on inside of you and realizing when, men, when the other men are listening that they too have experienced many of the same feelings, many of the same doubts, many of the same internal self-talk. Um, it's there's a relief in that. There's a support in that. I and I feel like we've prevented. You know, not, I'm not taking all this credit, but I feel like I've done some suicide prevention by having this men's group, because a lot of the guys I think had they taken their feelings of isolation and loneliness and self-deprecating um, thoughts. To the extreme might act them out that way, and in the group, other guys can say, "Yeah, you know, I felt that way too," and they can talk out loud about depression, or they can talk out loud about what it's like to you know struggle with with um, not being able to connect with someone and I feel like that is is so powerful um, you know uh, substance abuse, for instance we we really mention that, but alcoholism, substance abuse. If you look at the statistics, men are double women in terms of, of, of substance abuse problems. And so you kind of, you know, again, it's not causality, but, but then men are half as likely to talk about or, or to be diagnosed with depression. So I, I wonder if a lot of men aren't just medicating, you know, in some ways their depression through substance use or some other kind of addiction
0: it's a important contrast to, to be aware of that mm-hmm. that difference between you know the lower rates of, of diagnoses in some instances but then we've got these really highly um these troubling statistics about high rates of, of violent crimes and, and violence of the self like you said yeah you know fred that's that's really valuable feedback and i do want to acknowledge that for more information in addition to the guidelines for psychological practice for boys and men, listeners can can turn to your books, Deepening Psychotherapy with Men, or your more recent book, Deepening uh, Group Psychotherapy with Men. And I I think another good resource is Division 51 of the American Psychological Association, which is the Society for the Psychological Study of Men and Masculinities that uh, perhaps many of our our listeners are are aware of. And to our listeners, I want to Thank you for joining me, Daniel Elkert, and my guest, Dr. Frederick Rabinowitz, and I hope you'll join me next time for another episode of The Clinical Consult, a podcast from the National Register of Health Service Psychologists. And just as a reminder to our listeners, this and all episodes of The Clinical Consult are meant for general information and discussion purposes only and are not intended to serve as formal treatment advice, intervention advice, or continuing education.